All right, Brandon, welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast, brother. How are you? Thanks for having me, man. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm I'm so excited that you said yes to coming on my podcast. I mentioned it briefly before when we were talking, but uh, I've been following you on YouTube for a while. In fact, your videos were what helped me decide specifically which bow to get because I'm new to hunting, I'm new to archery, and I was like, I mean, I was YouTube and everything, and you just kept popping up, man. So, so thank you. Oh, I like to hear that. Thank you to yeah. the YouTube algorithm, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for for testing out so much and just giving great advice on how to do it. Well, let's let's take one quick step back, Brandon. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself so that people know who they're going to hear some stories from today? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Brandon McDonald, and I'm a guy who just decided to insert himself into the archery and hunting conversation by uh, learning how to basically make YouTube videos. And the reason I did it was I, I got off of my uh, first like Colorado archery hunt as an adult with my brother-in-law and realized that we had not taken a picture the entire time we were there. So like there are zero <laughs> memories other than the memories in my head. And I was like, this is so stupid. I have to learn how to use a camera. And, and in order to use a camera, I have to have a reason to like do, I'm not just going to like go film myself, like fake shooting at horses in the field or whatever the thing is. So I, I, I started the YouTube channel in order to learn how to use cameras in order to learn how to film my hunts to create and capture the memories. And, uh, That's awesome. yeah, it's been really fun. And then that kind of drove me into like doing tech reviews and learning about archery and gear. And I had no idea that archery was like so technical and physics and all that stuff. And I, I just got ate up with it. Like, that's the truth. I just, it absolutely feels like something that like just sits perfectly in my bones. I, I absolutely that's, adore it. Love it. Yeah. That's amazing. So my, my story with how I got into archery is I was hunting in Colorado, third rifle. I was so cold mm, and I was like, mm -hmm. I want, I want to hunt in September. Like that was why I started <laughs> archery. I was like, I, screw November hunting. I want to hunt in September. And, uh, I basically went to my wife and I was like, Hey, I'm, I, I think I want to do this. And she's like, that's a big expense. So, um, I don't know if you know, Parker, Parker, they've gone out of business, but when they went out of business, I saw, I, I, I saw that they were going out of business and they were, they were liquidating, right. Selling all their stuff. I'm, I have an advantage. I'm a big guy, uh, like 32 inch draw. Oh, jeez. I'm right-handed, but I shoot yep. lefty. So I was like, I just okay. have a sneaking suspicion they're going to have some really big left-handed bows left over as they continue to liquidate. So I watched it for a few months. It went from 20% off, 30% off, 40, 50, all the way down to like 70, 60 or 70% off. I don't remember exactly, but I got their, you know, flagship bow as they were closing their doors. And I was like, all right, I got a bow. Let's go hunt. And so I, I hiked around for a few years, never even shot the thing. <laughs> but Oh, gosh. Yep. But I eventually killed a turkey, and I was like, well, that was fun. I was like, I should really get into this. And that's when I was like, okay. Also, the Parker Poison 32 is heavy. It's a heavy, heavy bow. And I was carrying around, like, it's like 10 pounds or something like that. I was like, I need to find something lighter. So I was like, I'm going to buy something new. I now know that I love archery. And I found your videos, started looking, ended up with the a, a Hoyt RX-7 Ultra. But yeah. Love the bow. Absolutely love the bow. And I've just completely fallen in love with archery. I'm not quite as technical. I just don't have the bandwidth right now, but I, I like want to be there. I want to catch up to all of you archery guys. Um, and I'm sure Dude. all of you archery guys say, don't just enjoy it. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's been the revival for me for the last few months because I just, I, I just had a kid. And I was, I was talking to uh, James with Bow Disciples today. I was texting him. I was like, dude, I just am so 
happy to be shooting my bow on a regular basis again. Like there is something that is so pure about literally just standing out there with some carbon sticks in your pocket and just hammering at 50 yards. And that, that cleansing feeling that happens after 10 minutes, it's so meditative and good. So good. It is. It is, man. I I fell in love with archery so hard. Like the first thing I did, I was like, something's got to explain this. I bought Zen and the art of archery, right? The, was it a German philosopher who moved to Japan? Yes. I was like, I need to understand why I love this so much. And great, easy, well, not easy read, small read. Um, But yeah, I just, uh, I fell for it, man. And uh, I I think I partially have you to thank for that because you got me to, to a lot of the stepping stones of when I was just like, I'm teaching myself, got to find somebody. And there you were. So thank you. No, oh, dude, that, I'm, I'm so glad that if I was helpful in any way to anybody, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that, uh, that you would say that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. But, uh, pff, let's throw all that out the window. That's not why we're here, right? We're here. It's to not hear why we're here. Stories. Yeah. We're here to we're hear some stories. Talk, right. All right. So, uh, okay. Why don't you, why don't you set the stage, Brandon, tell us where we are, what you're doing and then jump into it, man. And, and, uh, I'll try my best not to, to screw up the story. All right, I like it. So here, here's what I'm here's what I'm thinking. I am a whitetail hunter by proximity, not by desire. So I live in Tennessee, and to hunt whitetail, what you're basically obligated to do, un- unless you're uh, unless you're very adventurous and you want to go out and spot and stalk or like slow hunt, you're going to sit in a stand and you're going to wait for a whitetail to walk by you which requires a great amount of skill. And it, yeah. and I don't want anyone to mishear that because the art of finding the location that you are going to pick to sit is a great skill in and of itself. Negotiating and figuring out, especially if on your, you're on public land, figuring out a spot where the deer are actually going to come to you and that there's not a whole mess of people around you is a big deal. Or going and negotiating like permissions on different people's lands or going and leasing something all of these things, like just the preparation for every type of hunting now in the in the century that are in, seems like a great amount of prep. It's not walk out of the tent and go shoot a buffalo anymore. I agree right? 100%. I have two hunting buddies. One lives out here in Colorado with me. The other one lives in North Carolina, and he hunts whitetail. The Colorado guy is always giving the whitetail guy grief. He's like, ah, just go shoot a couple today. Like, And I'm like, no, this it's different. It's not hiking 10 miles up a mountain, but it has its own intricacies its own difficulties and uh it's it's not everyone can do it so to do it to do it well and to understand it is different than to just go sit your ass on a on a stand in the middle of the woods somewhere it's they're they're very different things especially when you get into understanding like food plots and bedding areas and when to do certain things and where to leave them like you become a cultivator almost in order to do this really well So whitetail is something that I think that the majority of people in the United States probably have access to. Whereas like something like elk is really limited, obviously to the, you know, the, the Rocky mountain range essentially. So what I wanted to talk about was not whitetail, but my leap from whitetail into the next, what I would say like an adjacent hunt would be that's more accessible and that's black bear. Oh, cool. Okay. Have you been black bear hunting before? I've had a black bear tag and I've ran after some black bears, but for all intents and purposes, I was elk hunting. It just happened okay. to be something in my pocket. We, I think we were glassing up a hillside uh, because we had seen elk on this hillside every day. And that day we just saw a big black blob and we're like, what is that? Yeah. What is that? We chased after it. I actually ended up being about 10 yards from it. 
because we, we knew the trail it was on and i was like let's go it's very let's very go that's it. very close to a black bear yeah i uh, i regretted not having any kind of sidearm with me i was i remember being like shit <laughs> i have a pointy stick <laughs> like that's all i could think it, i couldn't see it i could just hear it breathing and uh eventually it caught wind of me and it it, it booked it and what's funny okay. I, I've, I've told the story before but like my buddy who's like 50 yards away on the other side of this valley an elk is standing above him so he's standing there looking at me and i'm like oh, like turn around <laughs> turn around there's an elk 15 feet behind you so let me ask you a question the yeah. fear that you felt, the desire to have a sidearm, do you feel that fear when you're 15 feet from an elk the same way? I can't say I've ever been 15 feet from an elk. Um, All right. So let, let's say, let's say if you I were, are. I don't know. Let's say you're 100 yards from a black bear. Are you kind of going, oh my gosh, I'm hunting a black bear with a stick. Whereas with an elk, are you like, I'm hunting an elk and I'm getting really close to my range to shoot it? Like, what are you, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? I'm just wondering if I'm unique in this or not. Uh, you know, so I will say that from that experience, I am no longer like really intimidated by black bears. I was like, I was 10, 15 feet from this bear and it ran. So black bears before then I'd never really gotten into one before. And that's why maybe I was scared before. But when it ran, I was like, okay. And, and since then, I've never really thought twice about Black Bear. And now it's all about like, oh, it's go time. Okay. Said, all I, right. I, haven't had, I haven't had the opportunity to get in again to 15 yards on a bear. But since then, it's just like they've become a, a, a back concern, back burner item to, to all hunting. Because I just am not worried about Black Bears anymore. I hope Bears, fought- 500 <laughs> yards. Too close. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I do think I agree. I think what I'm thinking about is capability of damage. Like an elk, there's no doubt that if you're really, really close to an elk, he can mess you up. Like if you look at like the Turons of uh, on Instagram, like it's hilarious watching people get really close to an elk and just getting super messed up by a, you know, 500 pound animal with giant pieces of bone, pointy bone in the front of them. Yeah. But Bone to knives. me, the ca- yep. yeah, exactly the capability of damage that comes from the potential of a black bear is enough to like light my skin on fire. <laughs> oh, really? So, so, so I'll I'll explain. I'll explain. So, I'm I'm gonna set the stage for you, like you said. So, before the interview, he was like, "Don't spare any details. Like, just we want the details. This is this is what this is about. Long form storytelling Absolutely. podcast." All right, so Canada, and when I say Canada, what I mean is as far north as you can possibly get in Canada, but you can still get gas, like you can still get gasoline for your vehicles. That's as, (laughs) like, literally the people that were going further north are hauling their own fuel. So that's, that's that's how far we are. And the hunting, the hunting trip is fishing, which I care, I could care less about. And then black bear. I say I could care less about fishing until we went to this spot. So it was a, a huge Canadian Is lake. Which coastal? Is oh, it's a lake. Okay. No, it's a, it's a lake. Yep. So what's in the lake are lake trout and walleye and pike. So have you have you fished much for any of those species? Uh, trout. No, none of the other ones. Okay. All right. So the lake trout in this lake were apparently really deep is what they said. Uh, we did not fish those because they were in a different spot, part, part of the lake. But the walleye and the uh, pike, the pike were my favorite. 
and I, it's like I said, I could care less about fishing. I literally didn't. The, the guy that I was going with, Kirk Bonds, was like, dude, you got to bring your fishing rod. You got to bring your lures. Here's what I recommend. And I was like, I don't care. I'm going to film everybody. I don't care about fishing because every fishing trip I'd ever been on had been the same thing. One, deep sea fishing. We catch no fish. I throw up a lot. Not fun. <laughs> yeah, Two, okay. lake fishing. We're catching like bluegills and people are like, that's the biggest eight inch bluegill I've ever seen. And I'm like, this is so stupid. All right. I'm not, I, I'm not meaning to insult fishermen. I just, I don't get like casting. I don't get, I don't get it. I don't get it. But with pike, I freaking get it. Dude, to have a, a 36 inch pike grab onto your lure and fight like the devil to try to pull you out of the boat into the water the lake that we were in every probably 10th cast so you're casting out and then you're and you're drawing in and every 10th cast you're getting hit by something that's big like every once in a while we get a small one but the majority of the time it's stuff that's big so it, it kind of changed my perspective on that and that was how we spent our mornings in canada so we would wake up go to the, the chow house and have some food and then go hit the boats and go out on the lake. And we were the only ones on the lake. There were three separate boats skimming across just like glass smooth water, perfect okay. weather, blue skies hitting the fish. And then that afternoon we would drive three hours in the rented luxury SUV that the, uh, that the uh, car, the, the car rental place was stupid enough to give us. I think I rented like <laughs> some sort of janky midsize SUV. And they were like, all we have is this like Eddie Bauer edition expedition. And I was like, Oh dang, we'll take it. So literally three hours <laughs> from this campsite to get to the spot where we're, where we're going for the, for the bears. And this is the reason I say this. And I wanted to translate it from like a whitetail guy over into bear because I feel like the hunting style is really similar because you're either in a ladder stand, you're in a ground blind, you're looking at a centralized location with shooting lanes or with bait. And with the bears up in this area, they wanted to bait them. And, And here's why they wanted to bait them because they wanted to draw the bears to a central location where you could choose what animal to take. And a lot of people, I think, think baiting is unethical. But the reality is, if I see three bears at a bait station that are all 200 pounds, and then I see a 500-pound bear, I'm going to shoot the 500-pound bear. And then the little guys are going to get to grow up and have more time to exist on the earth and to breed and do all the things that they do. And I will have made a selection not to take an immature bear out of that population. Yeah. And I've kind of, that's kind of a thing that I've thought about, about deer as well, like about baiting and the centralization of basically having a spot where you can choose. So not so that you can, uh, that it's like cheating, but so that you yeah. can decide to take a mature animal. Now, if you're, if you're baiting and you're like, I'm going to shoot a fork white tail when he comes in, like, come on. Gotcha. Maybe if that's so, all you have, that's all you yeah. have. Okay. You're doing what's best for the overall ecosystem. It's not but just I don't, about, go ahead. But, but I don't also want to act like there's not selfishness involved because if you go try to hunt black bear without either using dogs or using bait, you're going to see far fewer animals. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So no, I, I agree 100%. Yeah. So this is what happens when we're, when we're making this drive, 
these guys would stop and they would see a beaver dam and they would jump out and they would, they would go to this beaver dam and they would try to shoot a beaver and then they'd throw them in a five gallon bucket. Then they would wait two weeks to use that beaver. These black bears did not want fresh beaver. What they wanted was old stanky beaver. So they would, they would grab the five gallon buckets out of the back of the truck that had the nastiest, stankiest beavers. This is the clip, by the way, that I want you to use. Like if you're going to use like a short <laughs> clip of something, like Brandon McDonald and I talk about nasty, stanky beavers. Yeah. Can- yeah. Nasty, stanky Canadian beavers. So immediately they would off Instagram, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's, uh, that, that, that's the clickbait, the clickbait, the illusion. Yeah. So, so what they would do is they would string up, they would basically take a, uh, they'd take like a big, I mean, it was almost like a sewing needle and they'd jam it through the pelvis of this beaver because they okay. wanted in through, through the, t- the part that made it the most difficult for the bear to get it off this line. And they would run it between trees that would force the bears to climb the trees, climb out on the rope or stretch it down to grab this beaver off the trees. And it was the most acrobatic and interesting thing that I've seen an animal do other than like maybe watching squirrels, which is less impressive because they don't weigh as much. But it also, I also realized like every time I've ever gone elk hunting and I've been like, yeah, my food's up in a tree. It's fine. It's never been fine. It's never been fine. I've heard a lot of bear hunting stories where they baited and it's usually just like a barrel of, you know, molasses and chicken. Well, I'm not done. I'm not done. All right. All right. right. (laughs) Surprise me with the hanging dirty beavers, but go ahead. Well, well, I mean, I want to start out with the shock and awe portion of it. So, yeah. So, all right. So in the back of the truck, the stanky beaver truck. There's five gallon buckets full of dead, dead rotting beavers. And then there's also five gallon buckets full of like oats that are, that are coated in molasses and all sorts of grease and just like stuff that is not fit for human consumption. Like they're going to like the McDonald's in town an hour and a half away and being like, give yeah. us the horrible stuff that comes out of the bottom of the fryer. Can I don't you know. Imagine getting in an accident doing. in that car. Like you're driving in all of those buckets. Just like that's all I that's think of. When, like you're telling that's me this. And I'm like, oh god, I'm driving ten under the speed limit at all that's times. A good point. But that's gross. All out right, here, go, go ahead. Out here, where out here where we were, the only trucks that you're passing, the only vehicles that we're passing for, and, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. You would pass logging trucks, and that is all. There was okay. zero traffic on these back roads. They're all, it's all uh, dirt roads, you know, just like rain, like uh, the washboard, just awful. Like I legitimately had to go to the chiropractor for six weeks when I got back because my back was so jacked up from just sitting in horrible tree ladder stands and driving for so much while we were up there. It was, it was pretty rough, but that's like a whitetail thing. That's the thing. If you go to a, like a nine day whitetail hunt in the rut and you're like, I'm going to sit all day. Dude, you get destroyed. You get destroyed because you just have to sit still and pray that a 160 to 180 inch whitetail walks in, right? Yeah. Same kind of thing with, with the bear. All right. So we get to, let, let, let's say day one, we get to the, we get to the site and we're walking into the, uh, to the campground or to the, to the bait site. We're three hours away. And basically what they've, they've got is a segment of the Canadian wilderness and they're putting bait sites every five miles. 
okay. because what they're doing is basically allowing the bears to, to, um, to, to converge out of like a five mile segment to, to come hit this bait so that we're getting to select the bears out of this, you know, huge thing of wood. So there's multiple hunters. They're dropping me at one. Then they're driving a while, dropping the next person at one, driving a while, driving, that, dropping the next person at one. And um, so I get in the stand and my dad is with me. My dad is in his, in his seventies. And I don't know this, but my dad is afraid of heights. And I, I don't know how I didn't know this. Right. So I want him to be above me and I'm a righty. So there's two stands. There's a tree that's going up that that's vertical, like a nice, you know, big pine or something like that. And there is a 12 foot ladder stand that's oriented so that I would have to literally like flip my body all the way around to shoot the barrel. And then there's a tripod down below that has an articulating seat. So I can sit in that and get a better shot. So I I tell my dad, go up in the top of that, that tree, 12 feet up. And my dad is like one of the coolest people that I know. Like to this day, he's still just like an outstanding man, like just solid as a rock. Yeah. And Except he was like, I, the air. <laughs> I, he literally was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do, I can't do it. And I was like, it's just a ladder. You're, you're it's a ladder. You're going to be fine. And right then a bear comes walking out of the woods because he knows that the dinner bell has been rung because the truck pulls up. So a, a juvenile boar walks out of the woods and, and starts, they walk logs. So if there's down logs, they, they like to walk on top of those logs. So they have actually soft pads on their feet and okay. you, you rarely will hear them coming. I say you rarely hear them coming. It depends on how much, like you'll hear either really big sn- sticks snapping or you're not going to hear footsteps. Yeah. And so this guy just kind of pops up 50 yards from the tree and and the, the guides are there and they're loading the bait because that's how it's like, this is the time we refresh the bait. And so they're, they're, you know, jamming the giant threading needle through the pelvis of the beaver and they're, they're dumping the oat ridden grease all in this big 50 gallon barrel that's on the ground that's chained to a tree. That's just the, around the trees just wore out from these bears, just rolling this barrel, getting all the goodies out. Wow. And my dad and my dad is like, I have to pee. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he was like, we just drove three hours. How do you not have to pee? I said, get in the stand off the ground and then pee out of the stand. And he said, I can't get up there and stand up. I'm going to get up there and sit down and be perfectly still, or I'm going to fall out of the tree. So he's, so he's, he's peeing and the bear is moving in and the bear is not moving directly into the bait. The, the bait, the bear is circumventing the bait and coming around to our side of the tree to where he's probably 20 feet from us on the ground. And the guys like, obviously, Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) He absolutely knows we're there. And the, and the guides are like, Hey, now's the time, a good time. We've never had any issues before, but like, it's a smart time for you to get your ass up the tree. So, (laughs) (laughs) so good way of putting it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad, my, my sweet dad, he's an accountant. He's been an accountant for like 40 years, just steady, just a steady man. One of my favorite people. So he starts climbing up the tree and he gets up in the tree. I get up in the stand. We get, we get set up and the, the bear is around us for the next five hours. 
hours. He does not leave. He just keeps hanging out and he'll go over to the bait and he'll mess with it a little bit and then he'll circle and he'll come around to the base of the trees. Like it was, so this is where it's different from whitetail hunting. When there is a bear there, you are constantly thinking, at least I am, I am constantly thinking, because we don't have a gun. Like we're in Canada, the guides left, they had a shotgun, but they left with the gun. The only thing that we have to pretend if we, if there's an issue is me with my bow with three or four extra arrows, right? Yeah. Now it's a black bear, like you said. So you're not nervous about black bear, but let me tell you what, when you are stationary in a spot where a bear that is big enough that when he walks in and looks at you and you know, for sure, he can stand up on his back legs and grab your feet off the, off the tripod ladder stands. There's a little bit of poo that trickles out of your butt into your sit. I believe, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that. I, like All I right. said, I don't have much bear experience. And uh, you, you, I think you just named exactly the circumstance that I would have a problem with black bear. And maybe not. Maybe you wouldn't. And maybe a lot of people are like, nah, McDonald's kind of a puss. Like, I get that. I get that. <laughs> All right. So dad and I are sitting there and this one juvenile boar is, is cruising around, right? And let me see if I've got time on here. I don't want to go too long. You, I get, you give me the wave if I'm going too long and I'll speed it up, okay? I tell this to um, everybody. I'm not going to cut you off. I will listen as long as you're willing to tell stories, Brandon. So go ahead. Okay. All right. Okay. So there's a secondary, there's a second bear that comes in that's really similar size. And it's not the size of bear that I want to shoot because bear to me are really unique. And I don't just want to go shoot a bunch of black bear. Like I'm going to take the meat. I'm going to take the hide. I'm going to take the head. And I don't want, I don't want a, a ton of them. I just okay. want special. I want like a, I want special bears. So I want more than one black bear, but I want them to be special. I want them to be big, mature boars. I want them to be big. Because I don't enjoy eating them as much as I enjoy elk or axis or whitetail. I, so to me, there's like a, it's not waste because I'm not throwing it out, but the um, enjoyment factor of that part of it, like I, I just, it feels more wasteful. And the bear to me yeah. feels, it, it's such an interesting, like the, I don't know why, I don't know why, but the respect level that I have for the capabilities of the bear, like the communication that they have with each other. And this will bring me to like the next part of the story. This, this other bear moves in and they're doing this dance around each other where basically they both realize we both want the food. There's food in separate locations and I'll let you get to a certain proximity to me before they start making these noises that escalate. And you're sitting in the stand. You can hear this like, and these teeth clacking and they're, they're far away from each other, you know, 20 feet, maybe 25 feet. Okay. And, and, the, and the teeth clacking just these, these real casual jaw pops. And as they get closer, their heads lower and the, and gets, gets much more pronounced. Yeah. And then the second bear that moved in was a little bit bigger than the first one, but not a lot bigger. And then they would chase each other and they would chase each other so fast. They would go from zero to like 25 miles an hour sprinting across deadfall timber at a rate that was literally like they could climb up this tree 12 feet to the back of my 70 year old father in an absolute heartbeat. If one of them decided that they were running from this other bear and wanted to climb up there, they would be in my lap before I could do anything about it. 
anything. I believe it, man. I believe it. It was I, it was amazing. I uh an- another guest on my podcast has a similar story where bears are running around and stuff, and he actually has a cub charge up his tree and climb his tree <laughs> above him. And he's like, "Oh, I hope Mama's not here." And here's the kicker: I don't remember the episode number, but it's Eric Boone. The and the whole episode is insane. He all he does is predator hunt, and it's all absolutely crazy. But that bear pisses on him. It climbs the tree above him and then pisses down the tree on him. And he's just like, "Well, what do you do?" It's a kind <laughs> gift. It's a kind yeah. gift from a baby cub bear. I, I don't know what you did. He grab it and throw it on the ground. No, it like, was like I've seen photos. It was like thirty. It went thirty feet above him. Oh, dude, that's the biggest. That would be such a sweat. Yeah. Because if mama comes out, that's the thing. A 200-pound black bear doesn't sound like a 200-pound black bear. That's not that big. Like, no, no, no. No, no. Imagine a a Doberman pincher or a German shepherd that weighs 200 pounds with more crushing power in their jaws that can climb trees almost as fast as you can run to your mailbox. Yeah. Like that is it's, how capable these things are. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, they, they are terrifying. And I'll tell you this, this is the craziest part, Brandon. That's like the third most, what the fuck story he told. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, like there were two others that I was just like, awesome. like one, he went with his like wolves circling his wife. And I'm like, what? And then another one, the, uh, um, he steps over a bunch of baby cougars and like turns around and mama cougar is six inches from the barrel of his gun like just dude yeah that's so that's the cut that's the kind of people that you want to have on the podcast because that's the kind of people that people listen the entire episode that's such a sweat that's like a horror film that's so scary man that's yeah he invited me to come hunting with him this year and i'm like yeah man absolutely and then i sat down afterwards and i was like wait a minute his his stories were terrifying I'm not, I'm not sure if I want to go up there, but either way, dude, I, I interrupted. Keep no, going. no, no. If you, this is the question though. If you were going to die, would you rather be like, I died when I was 85, surrounded by my family in the bed, or I died with, what'd you say, Eric Boone? What'd you say his name was? Yeah, Eric Boone. Yep. I died with Eric Boone because I got torn in half by a grizzly bear and a, and the random puma that had ended up in Southern Colorado. Like that's what happened. That yeah, sounds pretty no, good I mean, to me, dude. I'm taking the, well, you, okay. I agree. Maybe you, you want to see your daughter. Maybe you want to see your daughter get a little older. Five, <laughs> yeah, I want to see my kids get a little bit older. I got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. If, if they're 29, yeah. Send, send me to cougar camp. And that sounds okay. So you're not, you're not committed. Okay. You're not committed. I get, Oh, cougar camp. That does sound good. (laughs) Maybe there's some, maybe there's some dirty beavers there. eh? Yeah. Dirty, (laughs) dirty beavers and cougar camp. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We went went way off track. All right, Brandon, let's bring it back. All right. Okay. Bears are going back and forth. Two bears. Two bears. They're, they're communicating. Peeing on you. Okay. No, no, no. They're not. They're not. So they have. They know we're there. Like they, they're, they're looking up on occasion, but we're not moving. We're sitting still. My dad is literally after the after the fact. He goes, "I didn't move a muscle the entire time." He never coughed. Like my dad has this thing. He's like, uh, 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 uh. like you do that. Yeah, like old my man. Dad's got that too. Yeah. It's an old man <laughs> thing. But my dad literally sat just absolutely still for five or six hours in that blind because he was so scared if he moved, he was going to fall out. There was no railing on it. Like it was literally just climb a, climb a seat and then sit on like 
the base of one of like the tethered, you know, like the tethered stand that you would, uh, that you would saddle hunt in, but you're supposed to stand with just barely your like tiptoes on. Gotcha. It was pretty rough. It was rough, but all right. Two bears, lots of interaction. And then we hear kind of a distant crashing, right? And it's clear by both of their demeanors that they see something we don't see. And they both take off in a hurry. Oh, Okay. And I was like, okay, here's the big daddy. The big daddy is coming in. And in walks this tall, long, really thin, really rubbed out, just terrible looking like monkey <laughs> of a bear. Like he looked like just, he was awful looking. He looked yeah. terrible. But it was obvious that what he had just been basically claiming this area and he hadn't, I don't know if he just hadn't, he was like, he was older than they were, but it was like he hadn't, he was like a, like a 13 year old human being who's hit puberty, but he's in the horrible, sad parts of puberty where he's yeah. like six, four, a hundred pounds. Yeah. And, and that's everywhere. Yeah. But yeah. pissed off, just a pissed off bear, pissed off, runs these two off immediately comes to the base of our tree and looks up the tree at both of us and my dad are both like looking down at him and he's just staring these beady <laughs> horrible little yellow eyes and he walked past the bait because he knew we were there and i think he also knew like i did this to my coat on purpose because you're not going to shoot me because i look like shit yeah he walks over <laughs> and and he grabs one of the one of the um uh one of the tie down lines that they had used to tie the, the base of the ladder stand to the tree he grabs that tie down line and starts pulling on it. And I was like, dad, dad, he's pulling on your line. I'm, I'm like whispering to my dad. I'm like, just stay still. You're, you'll be fine. This is fine. So I'm literally like slowly rotating around in case I have to do like a, a total archery challenge, straight down draw yeah. with an arrow to shoot this horrible bear. I'm just waiting so, for your dad to go, just shoot it, Brynn. <laughs> later, my dad goes, I don't know why you didn't shoot any of those bears. Like, not, like I would. he was like, they were all really, like, the first two were really pretty. I don't understand. And he didn't understand until I shot the bear that I actually shot, which was, like, three times their size. Then he got it. Like, he just he didn't get it. Because um, I just said, Dad, do you want to go fishing? And maybe we're <laughs> going to do some bear hunting. <laughs> So this bear pulls on this this uh, you know pulls on this this line that's that's holding my dad's stand to the to the tree, and then he realizes like ah I'm not really going to get anywhere with this. So my my tripod stand is standing right next to it, and it's not a nice tripod like it's not welded. It's all like bolted together, and the bolts have clearly not been tightened in quite a while, so the whole thing's a little bit rickety. Yeah. And he comes over there and he leans on one of the parts of the tripod, right? And he, and he takes his mouth and he reaches up and he grabs one of the struts that's holding the thing together. And he literally puts the whole thing in his mouth and just kind of holds on for a minute as he's kind of rocking this, my, my tripod. And he is tall enough that I'm 100% positive if he stood up on his, on his back legs, he's going to not only be able to get his claws to my feet, but he might be able to get his mouth at foot level, which means his arms would be at my ass level, which means he <laughs> like, which means not great things. So, so he's like five feet away from you. 
Dude, he is five feet away from me. So my dad has the good camera because he's cameraing for me. And dad is like, I'm not videoing this. So I t- I've got my phone out and I'm videoing this thing with my iPhone. <laughs> he's and, not videoing and- this? Oh, no, he's not videoing. But I got it. On, I got it on the iPhone. I know, I know, I know. It wasn't, it was, uh, yeah, yeah. So, but he can't. He's on the opposite side of the tree and the camera okay. that I gave him was just like ridiculously big and heavy. So like his 70 year old body's not gonna like, He's not going to reach over and, and be able to film. He wouldn't have got it anyway. Like my dad did not want to move out of that stand. And odds are he would have <laughs> fallen out and instantly the bear would have grabbed him and we would have been in the news for 70 year old accountant died from a black bear hunting. All right. <laughs> okay. Probably not. Okay. Probably he falls out. The black bear freaks out and runs away and we have to wait until somebody comes back. That's the reality. But in the moment, when you see how capable the am- animals are, you're like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I know I'm yeah. going to die. So as a whitetail hunter, when you're sitting there going, every time a whitetail, like a, like a group of doe has come in, I feel absolutely positive. I shall have no physical damage done to my body. Right? Yeah. But with bear, there's just that potential. So the adrenaline for me is just pumping the entire time. And it's the coolest feeling ever. The coolest feeling. So the bear gets done kind of messing around with what he's doing. And one of the other little bears comes back in to try to work the bait. And he decides, I'm going to go get this thing and takes off after the bear. <clears throat> they go run around for a while. Long story short, the big bear ends up back in the same spot with us, still messing with us. And at one point, jumps up to put his claws on the tree, his, his top claws to start climbing. And I, I basically made a really big movement at that point in time and hissed at him and he ran off and he didn't come back to the base of the tree at that point. So (laughs) yeah, no, no. Yeah. So like that was, that was, but that, that stress of that bear being there was outstanding. Like one of the coolest feelings as a whitetail hunter to be like, I'm in a stand. I have all my stuff set up exactly the way I would be for a whitetail. Like I got my bag over here. I got, I got everything on my body, my bino harness, my release. I've got my bow exactly the exact same way. But there's something on the ground that could come up here and get me. And that was the coolest, most interesting feeling. And watching them work together, watching them work the bait, like watching them. That was the thing. We, we, saw, we saw multiple bears over multiple days by themselves at bait, sta- bait stations and walk, watching them work the bait and watching them crawl the tree and grab that uh, that paracord and hand over hand. We saw one bear literally hand over hand out to the to the um, the the stanky beaver, grab with his mouth. He could not touch the ground. Hang uncomfortably. He was not comfortable. It was very obvious. And eat as much of he as much of the beaver as he could. Crunching bones reaching back like with his back molars crunching bones on that thing and then he would finally let go fall to the ground go over to the grease barrel go mess with the barrel a little bit rolling the thing around like we're talking major chains that are chaining these barrels to the trees like these bears would pick that barrel up like it was nothing and flip it around even the small bears they're unbelievably powerful unbelievably powerful Man, Brandon, you're making me rethink my answer to earlier. I think, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, all of a sudden I'm scared to go back in the woods, but uh, keep, keep, keep uh, going, man. 
All right, so we'll we'll talk about the actual kill. I think that that day was cool just because the the stand situation with the two of us and how we were, and that one just like rogue pre like I guess post pubescent, but like yeah, thirteen to fifteen year old human, just asshole teenage nasty bear was so interesting to watch. And um, all right, okay, so I'll I'll move on to the the next spot. So after that, we decided that we would like to go sit at a different station where there was a ground blind only. Okay. So we're, so we're 15 yards from the bait and we're on the ground. So it's me and my dad in a tent, which for some reason you feel safer. Like you're like, I'm in a tent. It's, yeah, it's made of, it's made of <laughs> material that's clearly thick enough. If a black bear decides to get frisky with the tent, it's going to be fine. This time they were like, we're going to leave you the shotgun. Like, we're just going to leave you with it just in case. And Kirk, the guy that was with us, who's much more experienced with all this stuff, he goes, how's that? Uh, uh, make sure you got your false sense of security with you. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? He goes, that bear wants to come get you. You're not getting that shotgun off in time. <laughs> Good luck. So so that made us feel awesome. The best part was when when we were loading into that area, my dad and I were getting out first. And my buddy Kirk and Josh were going to the next station and Kirk gets out and he has these awful. So I, in Canada, there's these ketchup flavored. I don't remember if they were potato chips. I thought they're they were potato, potato chips. chips. My wife's Canadian bro. and they are her bro. favorite. They're bro. her favorite. When, whenever, you need to, whenever someone goes to Canada, she's like, bring me back like five bags of ketchup You need chips. a new wife. You need a new wife. <laughs> these horrible <laughs> ketchup flavored potato chips and you know what i actually there's a chance so he bought two things and it was like a really like bad like b-grade cheetos or the potato or the, the ketchup chips i can't remember which one it was they got but ketchup Kirk and is, all dressed where they take all of the seasonings and throw them on one chip i don't know if you've had those. what no yeah, it's like the suicide of potato chips, but keep going. <laughs> it's like when I was a kid at the Coke machine, just going Same through thing. all the different Same thing, ones. But potato okay. chip okay. flavors. Interesting. You know, that was just a drunk guy at the uh, potato chip factory one day. It was like, oh, no, dude. I put all, and they were like, well, try it. And they're like, Except he was Canadians. He was like, oh, no, eh? Oh, no, eh? <laughs> that's right. He's not from California. That's the only accent that I have. I can do an Indian accent, too, but that's, that's a little more racist than we need right now. All right, yeah. so save that, save that for after we're done recording. That's fine. That that's fine. So Dad and I are in a ground blind, and at one point in the day, it's pretty slow, so not a lot going on. But we hear a bear walk up on the right side of the tent, and it sounds like it's six feet from the tent. Now I know it wasn't because he was he had to have been further away. Like we looked at basically the trail system that was around the tent, and there was it was in a really thick spot that the bears wouldn't really want to come. So I know that he's probably more like twelve or fifteen feet away over on this side. What I, I what I don't know is how big he was. I have no idea. He comes over there and he just stands for like fifteen minutes, and you can hear him breathing the entire time. Oh my god! Breathing okay. and a little bit of shuffling every once in a while. So all we have open is the front of the blind. We don't have any of the sides open at all. It's crazy. The bugs are crazy. Like the black flies that were up there were just insane. So we're in hairnets and we're in a, we're in a fully blacked out blind except for two triangles that are open in the front. And I've got the camera basically filling the vast majority of the one where my dad's sitting. 
And then me, I've got an opening to, to basically draw and I've, I've got, you know, the barrel plus maybe five feet on either side of the barrel. Gotcha. So at one point, a small female comes in, she messes with the bait, she goes away and we're doing that thing. And if you've whitetail hunted, this is the thing that you will do. Um, maybe you're more powerful than I am. I am. I don't know. I start daydreaming, right? Like you, <laughs> you start daydreaming about stuff. Like I'm thinking yeah. about like, you know, I've been really wanting like a 76 Ford F250 or a 350. Like I want like four door with blue interior. And all of a sudden I hear this thud in the distance and in walks a bear that they estimated to be about 500 pounds. Okay. So he's, he's a different class of bear, right? It's different than we've seen. And we've been sitting there for five or six hours at this point it's right at the end of the hunt there's like 15 minutes left so mentally like i'm just i'm already checked out and done and then instantly massive adrenaline rush and you're right back in it like right back in it and this big ass bear walks to the barrel and basically the way they're talking about how you judge the barrel uh, judge a bear is if he's really big and heavy, if his belly is getting close to dragging the ground, if his head is big like a pumpkin, his ears are off to the side and they're short. So the small bears, black bears, their head will be pretty elongated and their ears will be really long and more on top of their head. But as the mature, as the mature ones get bigger, their ears move down and get short and their heads get really big like a pumpkin. And they said, if you get a bear whose back is barrel level and he looks like that, that is a really big bear who's a shooter. And my bear was about three or four inches taller than the barrel. And he was everything they were talking about. Yeah. So I have one of those like just pants pooping moments. And, <laughs> and I, I reach over to the camera. Cause I was, I had also instructed my dad how to run the camera. And then in that moment, I was like, I'm not delegating any of this. I reach over, I turn the camera on and my dad kind of looks at me like, this is go time. Like he instantly recognized the size difference and then understood like, Oh, I get why you're doing yeah. what you're doing right it's now. Fine. And I see why you're waited. I see why you waited. So I've got the uh, Hoyt Ventum. I think this is the year where I was shooting the Venom Pro. And camera's on, focus is on. Like I've checked everything. The bear is messing with the top of the barrel a little bit. Blacked out blind, uh, mosquito net on. And I think to myself, you should lift the mosquito net out of the way to just make sure you're good, right? Cause it's also like 15, in Canada, when I say we're 15 minutes from getting out of the thing, like I'm I, at this point in Canada, it's like 11 PM. So it's okay. super late because the, the days are so long there. And this sounds this, like I'm way, about to make a it. spring or fall hunt or just this is, what, what uh, is I can't, was it June? Okay. I think it's so midsummer. Yeah. Okay. Yep. June, June, um, which in Canada, June is still not at that point in Canada, like still cold. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not a warm. Yeah. Not warm. We weren't bringing like full winter gear. And the mornings were great, like midday on the lake were awesome. But it was definitely like sitting in the blinds, you wanted a jacket for sure. But the bugs, man, the bugs were just ridiculous. Okay. Like I have video of us pulling into a gas station and the front of the car is, it's a silver car and the front of the car is black. 
cakes like a half an inch with these black flies okay. dude it was is unfathomably bad i don't know how they exist this way it's it's crazy so that's why we're wearing all the gear because okay. if you if you don't it, maybe there are people who are capable of withstanding it but i couldn't like mosquitoes everywhere everywhere black flies everywhere all right big bear i draw the bow i anchor and I'm going through my shop process and I still remember in my mind screaming mentally, housing, housing, housing. Because when I used to miss white-tailed deer when I was younger, the reason I would miss is I'd be looking through my peep and my housing and my peep would misalign because I was keeping both eyes open and I was watching the deer because I was so excited about them. And I'd shoot high six inches or left eight inches or whatever it was. So my, my shot process became when I drew in order to keep my mind not going into sub, 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 subconscious place to keep myself forward and to keep myself in my conscious brain is housing, housing, housing. And what I'm doing is purposefully holding the alignment of my peak with my housing. Yeah, and okay. I am literally screaming it in my brain. Anchor, hold, behind the crease, lower one third, back three inches, fire the arrow. Except that's not where you shoot a bear. <laughs> so okay. the shot process for a white-tailed deer that I have so ingrained into myself in sitting in a blind in a maximum adrenaline position after the fatigue of sitting for the day and all the bullshit around you, like, but th and I'm not making excuses and I don't want people to hear excuses. What I want them to hear is of me learning something about myself that I had more things to overcome because here's what happened. When we watch the footage back, the bear is not broadside. He's quartering toward me. And I knew yeah. he was quartering to a little bit, but in the light, what I wasn't doing was I just wasn't looking at his legs the right way. I felt like that target was so huge that there I'm at 15 yards. Like I've killed animals at eight times that distance. Like, yeah. why am I going to, what, what's going to happen here? This is a gimme, right? This is a, this is a six inch putt. Arrow looses. Bam, straight through the bear. He jumps back as he's on his way out. The 55-gallon the barrel drum goes flying in the air. He evacuates through one of the sides. He's smashing through brush, and I'm, I'm like, this is perfect. Absolutely, absolutely, this dude is going to be down listening for the moan. We watch the footage back, and I realize that the arrow is low and that he is quartering to me. And he's quartering to so hard that the I can see the arrow exit the bear through his back leg. Oh. And the fletchings hang. And I can see as he jumps, he's like six feet out. And I can see the iron wheel wide single bevel broadhead that has gone all the way through him, went through his leg bone. Because when you listen to the video, you can just hear it snap. You can just hear that single bevel just cracking bone on its way out. Hangs the fletching. The arrow, you can see the broadhead kind of glisten up in the slow-mo video as the bear bounces that barrel and takes off. And just heart, 
just sunk, dude. Just heart sunk. Cause I was like, there's no, like, how far is this thing going to go? Yeah. No, are we going to be able to find it? But plenty of damage, right? You, yes. Yeah. Cause I got all the way through him. I got through leg. I got through something major on the back end. Cause when we find the arrow, there is good blood on the arrow. Yeah, I bet. Good blood, which is weird, which is a bit weird for a bear because honestly, on a great shot on a bear, you're probably not getting a ton of blood because on the on the pasture on the backside, apparently the fleshing will clean off decently because of all the fur on the offside, they're actually going to clean up a bit. Okay. So um, I've only killed one other bear and it was a really little bear and I hit it in a weird spot in Dan state. I was with the elk shape guys in, uh, in okay. Idaho and, and I got such a good blood trail that Dan was like, I've never seen a blood trail like this for a bear. And when we got up to it, I'd shot it through an artery in his arm. So there was no hair there. He was just bleeding out everywhere. We, it was super easy to track, but that doesn't, that's not the same thing. Um, and that story may be more interesting because it was spot and stock on a black bear with me holding my bow in one hand and the camera in the other, getting to 50 yards and the bear seeing me and then me setting up and taking a shot. But to me, <laughs> the big bear, the big bear in Canada is more interesting because of the, the transition from a whitetail hunter into a black bear hunter yeah. being so parallel, but being feeling so different in that moment. All right. So we go look for, I, I think we've kind of already spoiled it a bit. The question is, how far did we have to go to find the bear? How long did it take to find the bear? Or did we find the bear? So shoot the bear. We get the, we get the, uh, everybody backs out that night. Like they come, they come in and we start tracking it. They find blood for a ways. And the guides are like, we're going to find it. Like they're watching the, they're watching the footage. They're like, we're going to find it. Like that's a dead bear. Like it's not a great shot, but it's a dead bear. There's really good blood. We have no idea what you hit on the way out. Like we know that. And I was, what I was assuming was onside lung, liver, guts through the leg. Like I was just yeah. assuming that I hit all the goodies all the way through and that the bear was, it was not going to be double lung. It was not a heart shot, but that we were still going to not have a problem. Like this bear was on the ground somewhere, but the Especially terrain if you, if was the back leg. I imagine you just splitting that hind leg it's not making it very far i don't care what kind of animal you are but that's just my assumption maybe i'm wrong you tell me brandon <laughs> i assumed the same thing so the next day we come out because we decide we're going to back out that night because it's dark at that point and nobody wants to go fishing for a 500 black 500 pound black bear with uh, flashlights so we go back to camp, we come back the next day and we start following the trail and the trail, like when black bear, big black bears are going through uh, like grass, it, it's so obvious that you don't have to track them. It literally is just these huge swaths of tamp down grass. It's not like tracking a deer. You literally just look up and you, that's where they went and you just, you know, move ahead 50 yards. So we track this bear down to this pond segment that's like, 250 yards through the thickest, nastiest stuff I've probably ever tracked through. You can't see if, if one of us moved 20 yards ahead, they were gone. Like yeah. you could not see them. So we track him down to an opening in a pond and we find a bedding area down there by the pond where he laid up all night and then moved on. Never found him. No, never found him. That's insane. Dude. So 
we, you ever seen I was so with, with those with those uh yes. the outfitter yes did, did they ever see him on camera again did they ever find uh, a corpse they haven't said anything and, and i'll have to ask i'll have to see if they've if they've seen him come back on camera that's actually a really good point so i told them that i would if they found the if they found him i was like i'll, I'll pay you guys a thousand bucks extra over and above everything if you find him just just tell me like even if he's rotted to pieces take pictures and tell me and it's not about the trophy. I just want to know what happened. Like, yeah. it, I, I hate the idea of shooting an animal and losing the animal. I, I absolutely hate that idea. Yeah. And, and, um, but the craziest thing was where he bedded down by the, by the, um, by the pond, it opened up and he just laid down in this tuft of grass and you could see this dried blood that was underneath him where he clearly just laid there and like laid on the wound either until he, until we spooked him and he got up and walked off or he just was able to move off again. But apparently that area was thick enough that they, they had lost a bear there a few weeks before as well that a rifle hunter had shot. Just, they said, I mean, he could be laying under one of these three foot diameter logs. That's this, you know, this deadfall that's down here. Like they're just, you have to walk right up on them. Yeah. Um, so we're going back in June and I think about it every day. Like I think about what I should have done different. I think about, I have a black bear target that like I go shoot more than any of my other 3d targets. Yeah. Like I, I change orientation on it. Like I, I, all that kind of stuff, just, just trying to think about how to not repeat that scenario because yeah, I don't know. I just, it's funny, man. I've just been ate up about it. Like I've been I ate up it. about it. I believe it, man. So this last September, I shot an elk. And at the moment, we're all like, yes, dead elk. But of course, we took a video of it. And so we watched that video as we're waiting our hour, right, to, to let it expire. And uh, just the video, it doesn't do it justice. And we spend an hour deciding, oh, that's farther back than we thought. And so we were like, we should probably wait for two two to three hours. And we just sat there and waited. And like, I was like, oh, man. Did I just, did I just gut shot this animal is just going to run 15 miles. And like, it was, thank goodness we found that elk. Uh, but, and, and, and I'm a new hunter. And so I haven't had the opportunity to lose an animal yet. It will eventually happen. It's just the nature of the game. But those, those like two and a half, three hours of thinking, oh no, I, I screwed this up was like, yes. the, I was like, maybe I shouldn't hunt anymore. Like that's what was going through my head when, uh, when I thought that this, 300 plus inch bull was just going to be wounded running through the woods. Uh, Thank, uh, but thankfully, thankfully, uh, <laughs> I, I use an iron will as well. It was quartering two, just like in your shot. Um, and, I, and I hit it. It probably clipped along liver, guts, and out the other side. But there was no blood, not a drop. Yep. Yep. Uh, but we, we, we did find it about 150 yards away. It, bled internally and basically drowned it, yep. it, it it reared up and fell up it was upside down so we, we were looking for antlers and we found a chest. Yeah. So it was, it was wow yeah. see but that 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 three hours to me is such a real like oh. visceral moment of hunting that i i don't think people expect could happen especially when it's like a high value animal and what i mean yeah. by high value animal is there's no doubt that in the hierarchy we all have like bull elk 
like 300, 340 to 360 inch elk, you're like, that's outstanding. But if a 420 inch elk walks out in front of you on public land, there, there's that thing that happens where you just go, I don't know why I want to possess this rare thing. I want to possess it so bad. And that's one of the reasons that people poach is they see these animals that are so rare that there's just this, this desire to possess this, this rare piece of this giant nugget of gold that they have found. And obviously that's like the lack of self-restraint to do that out of, out of uh, like to poach, to do something out of the context of when it is legal is so poisonous and gross, but to do it inside of the season, inside of the rules, especially if you can do it like over the counter DIY, like hard hunt. I don't know what that feels like, but to me that feels like the most pure thing that you could possibly do. Like I've killed plenty of stuff that's private and public and DIY and all that stuff. I've never killed the giant or even like the trophy, the, the, a rare thing under those, under that scenario. But I imagine that that would be, um, that feeling, that feeling would be a fleeting feeling that you probably never have again, unless you get to do that frequently, I guess. I guess. I mean, yeah, I'm like I said, my bowl is 300 plus and I don't, I've already come to grips with the fact that like, I'll probably never kill a bull that big again. And it was a moment that I'm going to live granted the three hours of terror or, you know, two and a half hours of terror of thinking I lost it. But yeah, it's pretty special. Here's a question. Change the subject just a little bit. Sure, sure, um, sure. That I have for you um, about like that sort of moment, that moment when the animal shows up. Is it different? And I don't have much experience for this, and that's why I'm asking you, but is it different when you're Western big game hiking and a, an elk shows up in front of you and you're like in the moment and you're, or you've been sitting there thinking about your 76, you know, Chevy or, or whatever it was. So it's, it's a like, Ford. It's a Ford. Come Sorry. on. I, yeah, no, no, I almost, no, said, fine, fine, I almost said 76 <laughs> Ford Chevy and I'm like, well, that's stupid. Uh, but is, is there a difference in the moment when the animal shows up when you've been exerting yourself versus when you've been sitting there daydreaming? I'm like, what is, yeah. what is, what, what happens there? Because I, I've had like turkeys show up while I'm sitting in the blind and I'm like, Oh, Oh shit. You know, like, and, and, and I've been sitting elk hunting in the morning waiting for the sun to come up and I, I get the shakes, but I never see an elk. But the one time I did kill an elk, I was hiking in hard. I was chasing after it, going after it. And I was steady as a rock. And I'm, I'm curious if yep. you have any experience with that. Yeah. So I, I'll speak for myself and then people that I've talked, I've talked with, it's fairly similar. So I, uh, the most adrenaline that I've gotten that's just absolutely uh, destabilizing, like a destabilizing yeah. amount of adrenaline is when something surprises, when surprises you. So I was in Utah and I was daydreaming, end of the hunt, walked up a trail and all of a sudden walked up on just a cow elk. And I was ready to shoot a cow on that trip. Like I was ready. And yeah. that was a destabilizing amount of adrenaline for me because I had, I was just casually walking up a trail. There was, I wasn't exerting myself, anything like that. That was such a destabilizing amount of adrenaline that I, I, I didn't shoot at her. I just 
I couldn't come down enough to justify the distance of the shot at that point in time. Gotcha. Um, whitetail, like I told you where I'm screaming at myself, housing, housing, housing in my shot process, it's because of whitetail. Because if I'm sitting there, especially after a rain, because they'll walk up quiet in the rain because you're just not hearing the crunching on the leaves, uh, especially early season before there's a bunch of leaves on the ground. Like they just all of a sudden end up in front of you. And especially if it's something that you want to shoot. Um, I, I think for me, the adrenaline hit of the surprise is far more destabilizing. Okay. So I shot, I shot a, an elk at 85 yards in New Mexico. And it was because we'd hiked in, we'd watched the elk, we'd gotten closer We'd, we'd moved to the next grove of trees. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd taken some gear off. I'd moved into a certain position. I'd, I'd measured my body and made sure that my kneeling stance was good. I made sure the camera guy was good. Yeah. I drew. And, I, and as I drew, I, I literally said, okay, you don't have to take this shot. Like, first of all, it's not a big elk, but the shot will be epic. If you take this shot, it will be epic and it will be beautiful. The shot will be perfect. So like the actual video footage will be perfect, but you have to make sure that you feel confident in the shot. And as I, as I pulled the peep up, dude, just rock solid locked on. Yeah. And then I just started going through the shot process and boom, off goes the arrow. It's a, it's on my YouTube channel. It's my New Mexico hunt that I did a few years ago. And you just see the arrow leave this little hide that we're in and you see it start to fishtail. And then you just see it go right over the top of this iron pipe fence that the elk was standing on the backside of, but it looks like he's right up against it. And I'm going to hit that pipe and the arrow just disappears right through him, right That's into awesome. the dirt behind him. Dude, it was so epic. The elk ran 50 yards, laid down and died. That's and amazing. go ahead. Well, no, I, was I, I that, like this comes back to what we were saying earlier. It's like, you know, Western, versus eastern kind of blind hunting they're both hard and i think that like the western get western might be that physical tough but the eastern you're, you're gonna get surprised if you're sitting in a blind you're gonna get surprised if you're sitting in a tree stand you're probably gonna get surprised um but it, it just, i think it just adds to the fact that they're all tough in their own in their own way i think that there's a, also a mental toughness people don't, I, and i didn't realize this first so like i did solo in utah for two years and I'm not a, like, I'm not a camper. Like I don't go camping and I didn't grow up doing a lot of camping, even though I'm from Colorado, which is, we just did different stuff. And so the added element of it's not hunting as it, like you have to go survive in a completely different outdoor area that you didn't realize that you were going to have to survive in. So like at 10,000 feet where I was 10,300, where I was in Utah coming from 400 feet in Nashville or whatever the hell we are here, nothing. And just hiking in, learning how to get like, oh, that's, that's water. Like, I, that's good. That's water. I can use my, my cleaning stuff to get this water and I can make my dehydrated, my dehydrated meals. And what you don't realize is after five days of eating dehydes and just like shitting your brains out, that's pretty taxing and <laughs> yeah, not zesty. Not fun. And like, no, it's not fun. And like, I, oh, did you bring enough wet wipes? No, you didn't. Because it's just like wiping a marker for, for you know. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's surprisingly accurate. I got, I got a, 
Yeah. Finish what you wanted to say, and then I'll tell you but, a gross uh, all right. story. So, but yeah, story <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's what we like to hear. So it's it's so so like that element for an Eastern hunter who's used to the mental game of sit your ass in a blind and sit perfectly still for five hours. Listen to a podcast, like just plow through two two episodes of Joe Rogan, baby. You're gonna sit there and you're gonna listen. You're gonna have a podcast in one ear and you're gonna use your other ear to listen for stuff coming up. And you're not going to shoot a buck unless it's bigger than the best buck you have on camera. And you're going to watch does come by and you're going to watch forks come by and you're going to just hang out and you're just going to wait. And you're going to do that day after day after day after day after day after day. And as boring as it was to just hear me say that five times, imagine sitting in all day sits during the rut. But then... On day six, all of a sudden, you hear off in, this, off in the distance, 100 yards away, something running toward you, and you know that's not a squirrel. That's not the same squirrel that I've heard 4,000 times already. It's not, <laughs> yeah. a, it's not the same squirrel. And all of a sudden, there is a monster freaking eight-point, 140-inch eight-point running a doe right through your setup, and you weren't quite ready. You weren't quite ready to get that thing drawn quick enough because you didn't register. That's a hundred yards away. I need to get ready right now. I need to get ready right now because I believe myself because I've been sitting for five days and now my brain is it's go time. That like monk monk type um, like monk attitude versus to me like the Western stuff where you're hiking and the grind of hiking and yeah. eating dehydes and figuring out just whatever, even if it's not dehydes, yeah. just figuring out your nutrition. I'm hot, in miles. I'm cold, I'm yeah. sweaty, my feet hurt. Like you're never comfortable. I never sleep well when I'm out in those scenarios ever. I wake, I sleep for 45 minutes. I wake up for 15 minutes. I sleep for 45 minutes. I wake for 15 minutes. But what I realized was, okay, that's my schedule at night. It sucks. Yep. I've never been able to break that. If I'm in a sleeping bag on a pad, that's my schedule. And I've never been able to figure it out. But what I also realized was I can do that for a week. I can do it. Like I can do that for a week. And, and then when I bring that back to like doing a business deal in Nashville, like doing a real estate deal and like some contractors wanting to give me shit over something, I'm like, dude, come camp in the woods with me for seven days and get 45 <laughs> minutes on 15 minutes off of sleep for seven nights in a row. This doesn't matter. Like it turns the volume. It's like a um, uh, fight club. It just brings the volume down on the rest of life in such a good way, like such yeah. a wonderful way. But whitetail hunting does the same thing. It brings yeah, the volume down on the rest of it because you're achieving this state of like mental focus that's different for whitetail hunting to me than it is for Western hunting. But there is, there is some congruency. There is some parallel between those. Um, Just, just from the standpoint of mental, like just mental strength. It's just a different kind of mental strength. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I will say this, Brandon, you've done a very, normally I'm really good at bringing people back to telling stories and we don't talk about things that are not stories, but you do a very good job of, of keeping me enthralled here. This is exactly, I love it. I love everything about this. I, I think I did a better job keeping uh, Ted Nugent on subject than I have you. <laughs> dude, that's hilarious, man. That's hilarious. You got um, to talk I, to the nudes, dude. I'm I jealous. Did, I want to talk to yeah. that guy. 
Dude, he's 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 a lot of fun, man. He's a lot of fun. Oh, uh, he's a character, I, I, man. He told me if I can get an access to your hunt, he'd come down and hunt with me. So I'm working on it. But dude, uh, call me. I will for real. I'll go film and and shoot. Access is one. If you've never had it, it's one of the best meats I've ever had it's in my life. Best. It is worth it's it. It's the best. I put it over elk, um, and it's phenomenal. Oh yeah, Although for I, sure. I, I will elk. say the first time I ever had it, somebody cut some fat off of the access and put it on top of the steak, thinking it would like moisten the steak no it's like a wax it's like a wax yeah. fat it's, yeah don't do deer, that but deer fat's never good yeah yeah but um yeah all right um my shitty that's story. all yeah yeah i want to hear your shitty story but I, 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 I i'm i'm good for mine all right it's not a it's not a quick story oh no it is a quick story it's it but my friend loves it or actually hates it when i shit on him and that's why i want to tell the story <laughs> uh but my my hunting buddy he's allergic he recently discovered he's allergic to gluten gluten makes him shit this last hunt that we went on yeah. I, brought, I brought an rv out because i was like hey i'm gonna be out there long term like that's what they do i'm gonna bring one too so park the rv he comes out for the first weekend and he just wants to be part of the crew. So we're having tacos, we're having this, we're having that. And he's just glutening, gluten, 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 gluten. Um, and you, you mentioned, you know, wiping a marker. Wiping a marker, baby. My buddy was out there for a day and a half, and he filled up my black tank. <laughs> filled my black tank. He then, he then goes back to town, and I'm like, man, am I going to have to take this thing to town to, like, dump it? Like, this is ridiculous. And And <laughs> – I manage over the next, you know, I'm hunting every day. So most of the time I'm out in the woods, but the next like six days, it doesn't get any more full. He comes back and boom, it's, it's, it is, it is at its capacity. So Dude, it's just, you make uh, him get a ladle, you make him get a ladle, you open the toilet and you make him ladle that stuff out of there. Go dump it in the woods, baby. <laughs> when he showed up for, for the second weekend, I was like, you, sir, are shitting in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> like whatever's left in there is for me. So. Not a, not yeah, a great hunting like story, but I think a somewhat relatable hunting story. Oh, I like um, it for sure. I like it. Yeah. No, just imagine though, you're in the middle of nowhere in, in Utah. I didn't see anybody for a week both times I went. Literally zero. That's where that's where I was, and you run out of wet wipes both times. But I got to walk to the creek, stark ass naked, a mile. Literally walked with my Garmin, walked with my Garmin and my gun for a mile from my campsite to bathe in a creek. Both times I was there, it was. The best feeling ever dude if you ever walk naked in the woods for a mile it's the best feeling ever so cool. i've i've had naked experiences in the woods but not a mile hike <laughs> not a mile, mile hike. hike by yourself baby that's what you gotta do all by yourself one mile hike. <laughs> there you go. man this was this was really fun i really had a good time thank you for uh thank you for having me on for allowing me to kind of share some of my stories i i i, I really did have a good time yeah this was fun, Brandon. And man, I hope I hope we can have you on again in the future. I'm sure you have plenty more stories to tell. Um, why don't we Why don't we wrap this thing up, man? I know I, I've taken up more of your time than I asked for. So, uh, and, and you're a couple time zones ahead of me. Tell the folks where they can find you. Um, yeah, so YouTube is kind of my primary go to. I think, and I'm getting back into making videos this year. Post having I've got a, a two month old now. So I'm, I'm getting back into making videos this year. So YouTube, uh, Brandon McDonald is my name there. I am not the large black NFL player. I am the skinny white archery guy. Yeah, that's true. Okay. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, on Instagram, I'm Brandon McDonald underscore archery. That's Brandon McDonald underscore archery. And I'm actually on YouTube. I'm in a competition with Tim Connor, uh, kind of formerly of the elk shape fame. He's out of, uh, out of Washington of uh we're trying to get to 50 who's getting to 50k first and so go subscribe to youtube that would be amazing and very helpful All thank right. you i'd like to beat him 
There we go, guys. You hear that right now. Everyone listening, subscribe today. Brandon, thank you, man. This was a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, I, I learned a lot of archery from you. Like it, you were kind of like the uh, the gateway drug, I guess I will say. Uh, so thank you for that as well. Um, you picked a good bow, man. You picked a good one. So I'm glad that you man. did it. Uh, you know what's funny is there were so they're all so good, um, but the grip is what got me. And what's funny uh, that when it breaks down to all the other things, and then the grip, the actual grip on my Hoyt RX7 came off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude, that's a good grip though. I really do like that grip. So I have the RX8 this year, and it's the same. Uh, it's basically the same uh, riser. It, it's exactly. great. It really is really good. Yeah, just get it's, just get some get some glue, baby. Glue glue that thing. Well, yeah, I use my I use my fletching glue. I just squirt okay, it good. and Perfect. it's back to it's actually probably better than it was before. But yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. Boat. No, it's a great yeah. boat, dude. Keep that keep that for three or four years, and then buy Matthews. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right, Brandon, man. Thanks again. I appreciate your time. And uh, gosh, that was a, that was a fun episode, man. Thank you. That was a good one, man. Yeah, thank you for talking with me. I appreciate it.